Welcome to the Modern Mean Mom Podcast. We're your hosts, Chelsea and Melissa. We believe behind every well-adjusted human is a mean mom. We're students of respectful parenting and recovering children of the stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about generation. We're here to share our triumphs, our epic mom fails, and hopefully some laughs along the way. So settle in and let's get mean. All right. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Melissa. How are you? I, I am good. I am feeling energized. How are you? Ooh, yeah. I've had some coffee, like a lot of cups of coffee. Mm. I'm actually really <laughs> too good, in fact. This is a good day to be here because we are joined again by the wonderful Dr. Jenny King. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm excited. I'm excited to be back chatting with you. Um, we got so much good feedback from our last episode um, with the topics we got into. We are just, we're thrilled to kind of just delve into some questions that we have thought up um, about these topics, you know, broaching the subjects of mortality, death, grieving um, with little ones. So if that's okay, we'll just get like right into it. All right. Yeah, I have a question. You go ahead. So what constitutes grief like in a child? Because Ooh. I've seen my kid get really, really sad and upset about not having the red lid on the yellow cup mm-hmm. as opposed, you know? Um, yeah. Is it, all, is it always death? Death? No. It's definitely not always death. I mean, I like to think about loss more generally, especially with these past couple of years where I think there's been so many different types of loss um, that we've all encountered that, you know, some of it, of course, is loss of life, but a lot of it's not. I mean, there's loss of control. There's loss of identity. There's, yeah, yeah, all sorts of different things. Um, now with the red cup, not the blue cup, there's probably some other things happening there too, but I could, you know, you could make the case, you could make the case for, um, yeah, there being some difficulty with, with loss. So when I think about grief and I think about, um, sort of like the tasks of grief, um, first I think that like it's two part and the first the first part is really wrapping your head around whatever happened, whatever loss was incurred. Mm -hmm. And the second part is kind of acclimating to life without that person or without that thing. Okay. Um, And so I think with kids, with adults, those two steps are much clearer when they are, than they are with little ones because Little ones are going to bounce back and forth between the two a lot, spend a lot more time on the first one and kind of needing to revisit the story a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, yeah, I think it just, it's, it's, it's not as cut and dry for little ones as it is for grownups, but those Mm -hmm. tasks are the same, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's interesting. You bring up kind of the two parts of like dealing with grief, like dealing with the immediate task of it. And then what comes next? Because when my, right after I had my son, when he was like six weeks old, my dad passed away, Mm. um, which was horrible, horrible timing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have been really intentional and try really hard to like, still keep him sort of a part of our lives. And, you know, I want my kids 
to know who he was and like the amazing relationship that we have. So we have, you know, photos of him around the house and we celebrate his birthday, you know, mm. we on the anniversary of his death. And my, my son for a while would just be like, well, where, where is your daddy? Like, why isn't he here? You know? So then I'm again, retelling that story of oh, yes. when you were a baby, you know, mommy's dad passed away, you know, he went and then that gets into the other topic of, you know, life after death and what that means in your household. Yeah. But even, you know, still like he'll see pictures of him on the wall and he'll be like, oh, where, you know, where is your daddy? Why didn't he come to, you know, my sister's birthday party, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it is, it is a lot of like constantly retelling that story, um, to get them, you know, to get them there because it's a lot to wrap your head around. It's a lot to wrap your head around for me. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. And I think, you know, the retelling can be really hard on us as grownups. If, you know, it was a loss that was especially poignant for us, or we, you know, we still have our processing to do like that, that can be really, really hard. And so, you know, we, we talk about the importance of community and like having your village, but I think when it comes to Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, if you're not the only one who can do the retelling or fill in some of those blanks, um, if oh, you are still in a pace of great pain, like that can be really beneficial for you and for the little ones too. Mm-hmm. That is a great suggestion. Oof. Um, so one of my questions that I have for you that I, we kind of have touched on, but I guess I'm going to like give you free reign to, you know, okay. how you would like to but is there, when we, when we're looking at approaching these subjects with our kids, is there like a, is there an appropriate developmental milestone or like an age that is appropriate to, um, you know, broach these? Start having those conversations. Yeah. So, you know, I, unfortunately, I think in a lot of cases we don't get to choose, Mm -hmm. right. Um, whether that's, we talked a little bit last time, whether that's a a pet has passed or they've seen something and are curious about it. I do think for a lot of kids, not all kids, um, but for a lot of kids, there is often a natural curiosity about death, like between four and six, Mm -hmm. um, which is very much the, like the why stage already. So, right. Like there's a, there's curiosity about all the things. So there is certainly curiosity about death that happened in my household, both my, my older kids, and I've worked with parents around this too. And what, what's going to like tip that in one direction or another is how the grownups respond to it. Right. So it can be, it can, it can throw you off to kind of unexpectedly. I remember they were with my mom, um, one day and apparently my son asked her when she thought she was going to die. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, no ramp up, right? <laughs> no precursor. And she, you know, she's totally thrown off and starts, you know, she's very then anxious about, is she saying the right stuff? And she's kind of yeah. rambling on and on. And then, you know, they pick up on that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so then either it's like, let me not mention this again, because I, that seemed upsetting to you right. or let, let me dig, 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 dig into right. this topic because I, I can't totally understand your response. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, I think with a lot of these tricky topics, I would say like probably all of them, it comes down to how regulated we are yeah. and how able Got we it. are to, <laughs> <I> know, <right>? <laughs> to <laughs> manage our stuff. You know, yeah. it's, they, they are so exquisitely tuned in to our internal states 
without really understanding them. And so, you know, whatever we can do to kind of get ourselves together. And this kind of is so true to our conversation that we had in another episode about like filling your own cup, right? Like when you're on the airplane and they're like, put your mask on. Yes. And then help another person. Like it's really worth the investment. Mm -hmm. Well, and two, like what you just said makes me think of something my son said the other day about just being so in tune to what's going on with us. Um, my husband, like after working all day, he got, he got annoyed with something, you know, I mean, we're a married couple. We annoy each other all the time. It's like part of the job. So he got annoyed with something and was, you know, the tone of his voice was visibly bothered. And my son is sitting at the dinner table and he goes, I better go talk to daddy. (laughs) So he he goes into the kitchen and he goes, daddy, Sometimes things happen. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then walked away. He's three years old. Yeah, put so, that on a t-shirt. I know. So Dropping nuggets left and right. Which is brings me to another question I wanted to ask you. Like, what are some good phrases or language we can incorporate yeah. to really like um do a do the best job we can with these topics? So it partially I'm, and I'm probably going to say this over and over again it depends on like the age and stage of the mm-hmm. kiddo mm-hmm. you want to address um like their particular kind of level of understanding I will say though across the board um we tend to talk way too much yeah we, right so <laughs> even with tricky topics like this like we want to keep our responses short and sweet and simple and direct um I think we're, we're talking a lot about like younger kids, preschool age, school age kids. Um, mostly their understanding of death is going to be about like the, the, the non-functionality of Mm -hmm. the body, right? Like that's, that's what they're going to be able to understand that, um, when someone dies, their body stops working, their heart stops beating. They don't need to eat or drink anymore. Like that could, that kind of direct factual information for little ones. I think we tend to rely on metaphors a lot, which is sometimes from our own discomfort. And that can be really tricky. Like we don't want to describe death as being like sleeping, um, which some people yeah. might do because they're comfortable, but as you can imagine, like that can lead to a lot of fear around yeah, going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even passing away is, can be tricky language because right. what does that mean? Uh, d- does yeah. that mean they're coming back? Um, yeah. because that's the piece that kids tend to get really stuck on is they, they just can't wrap their head around the fact that this, I will not see this person again. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And whether, you know, it's not intentional, but I think sometimes our language can just leave it a little vague and we end up sort of feeding into that curiosity rather than, you know, we have to say over and over again, like when you're dead, you're dead. When someone dies, they're dead forever and they're not coming back. Yeah. So we want to say that death is, is sort of part of life. Death is the end of living. Um, yeah. And I would focus on kind of what, what happens to the body, because that's, that's usually a piece that even little ones can kind of understand. I love that. Shy away from metaphors. Yeah. Totally right. Like we do say those things because we do. it's more comfortable yeah. to say. Yeah. Like who is that for? Right. That's for us. It's for that's, us. It's totally that's to manage us. our own discomfort. Yeah. And you're so right. Cause I have that kid who is like, until he understands he's going to like, Chip, chip, chip. Yes. Chip, chip, chip. Yes. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> hey. 
So that's like great advice. Just keep it simple, stupid, right? Keep it, keep it, yeah, keep it short and sweet. And again, when we are uncomfortable, that's when we ramble. Right. Um, So, you know, just do what you can to shut yourself up. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, Do you want to ask that one? Oh, yeah. So next up to bat, um, we're wondering what are some nonverbal cues we should be on the lookout for as we're having these conversations uh, with our kids? Yeah, or if we like, can see that they're getting, you know, upset or on the verge of whatever emotion is coming. So um, I guess it partially depends on like if, if the conversation is about the logistics of death in general, or if you're talking about the death of a loved one, that's like sort of emotionally loaded for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, your kids, so you know what they look like when they're activated. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that we need to, you know, shut a conversation down because a child is emoting. Like if a child is beginning to cry or if you're beginning to cry, like those are opportunities to name a feeling, connect with feeling, share your feelings. So as much as I'm saying, like manage your own stuff, be direct, short and sweet. It's also always okay to say like, I'm really sad about this too. And I miss him too. Mm -hmm. And here are the ways that I I'm taking care when I feel sad like that. Here's what helps me feel better. Like modeling. Right. Exactly. Exactly. We don't have to be like robots Uh in order to be what we think is sort of protective around their emotions. I think we can connect with them about the fact that hard things are hard, you know, and we'll get through them together. And let's talk about the ways that we can sort of do that. I mean, uh, following a death, it's, really common to notice changes and like sleep and appetite and overall mood, sort of energy level, that kind of stuff. If that maintains for a really long time or kind of, we always think about the impact on functioning. Yeah. So like if they're not playing, if they're not wanting to be with friends, if they're not okay at school, like those are kind of the pieces to, to get curious about and maybe try to get some support around. But I don't want to pathologize like very appropriate responses to grief, which are to be sad and messed up for a little while, you know? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. (laughs) Um, So that leads me to my, my next question, which is how do you feel about using movies to like introduce these topics purposefully? So I, that's a really interesting question. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we, the Disney movies, of course, that yeah. always center on a very significant loss. Um, I can imagine ways that that could be very useful. I can also imagine ways where like we are doing a lot of labor around that and our kids just kind of like aren't paying attention to that part of the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. no, we want to, we want to, like, like, I'm trying to teach you a lesson right? here. Right. And they're like, what, what are we like? Can we have a snack? You know, yeah. because I think a lot of the time we, we have in our heads, like, I, this is how this conversation is going to look. And mm-hmm. here's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Here's how they're going to respond. And then it's like, none of that goes the way you think. And it's actually when you're like, rushing out the door to go somewhere that yeah. all of a sudden it's like, what happens when you die? <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. Real, real quick. One small yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. Is the moment <laughs> yeah. where you're like ready for it. But I will say I, 
recommend books a lot. Um, okay. if there are specific like questions about death or just things that are coming up, um, I think I shared before both of my sons at like four or five just had a lot of questions about death. Um, so there's a great book called when dinosaurs die. That's, um, a picture book and it's like nonfiction though. So it's, it's just a lot of information about mm -hmm. what happens and how you might feel. And also like how in your culture, in your faith, different practices might look. So mm -hmm. that's a really useful one. Mm -hmm. Um, even for kids who are a little bit older, I think there's also a really cute book called death is stupid. Um, <laughs> I can't think of the author's name, but I love it. It's, it's, a illustrated, um, book that is again, very kind of direct and no nonsense, but also kind of funny that like, it is stupid. It sucks that this happens, yeah. you know? So sure. yeah, I like, I like to have a couple of those books like on hand or in my cart <laughs> just in case yeah. a reason will, emerges. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll find links to those books and put them in our show notes. I love your answer for that was like, eh, maybe not so much movies, but like books, because I mean, as, as a modern mean mom, I'm always like trying to minimize the screen time anyhow, because of what mm. exactly what you just said. Um, so I feel like adding books in your, you know, in your like toolbox to deal with these big emotions, big topics is, is a always great good. resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it also allows them to seek out that information when they want it or are ready for it. Right. So if that's just another book that you have. Um, and they pick it up one day, then that's the day you're talking about death. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Cause like, right. Son, you have the resource. Yeah. Yeah. Like my son right now is really into sharks and we have this book that is like, I, it could be a college textbook, but it's a picture book and it, there's so much information mm -hmm. in it. And it's like, do sharks eat people? Yes. Sharks eat people. And he was like, what mommy? Like <laughs> people I'm like, yeah, sometimes that happens, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't have as much of a hard time with screen time as a lot of people do. And probably my own, our family's choices about screen time look really different than other people's. So if, if movies work for you, I know a lot of um, like neurodivergent families and kids, movies are a great way to kind of yeah. talk through tricky things. I don't, I don't mean to say like, don't do that. Get your kid away from the TV. You know what works best for oh, your yeah, family. Theater, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. No judgment. It's good. Yeah. Yes. Judgment-free zone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think like there's a part of me that thinks if your kid is going to be exposed to that then, you know, you should, I mean, you should try everything you can to make sure you're the one being there exposing them. Cause there was a, yes. I have a funny story. So like a family member of mine, um, when her son was growing up, they loved to watch the wizard of Oz and mm. she like on VH, old VHS tapes, like edited out all the scenes with the wicked witch. Um, because it was too scary. A lot of work. So wow, that is a lot of work. For, for a long time, he would watch, um, you know, the movie and love the movie. Never knew about the Wicked Witch. He goes to like friend's house for a party or a sleepover or something, and they watch The Wizard of Oz. Lo and behold, there's this new character in the and film. He was shook. The Wicked Witch. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, he had some feelings about that. Um, 
Of so, course. Gosh, I, mean, I would too. Right? Like, holy cow, that is a scary lady and she's yeah. green. Um, but I think that's it's a very delicate balance of wanting mm. to protect our mm-hmm. kids and then yes. also respecting their like real intelligence and ability yes. to feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that happen in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that they are as, as, as much as we may try to control the environment, like they are exposed to stuff that we have no idea about. And so whether it's death or any other sort of tricky topic that may make us uncomfortable, I think an important piece, even with little ones, is also to just ask them, to ask them what they think that means, Mm. to give us a sense of, you know, they may have heard something, they may have their own beliefs about it or thoughts about it or questions about it to sort of allow us a jumping off point so that we're not kind of talking at them. We're getting a sense of where they are and how we can sometimes like correct misinformation, honestly. Right, right, right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Yeah. I would say even with our little ones, ask, ask what they heard, what they've heard, what they think. They know, yeah. But especially with school aged kids, because I whoa, (laughs) it was like a slap in the face when I sent my little kindergartner on the bus, because for anybody who's using like public schooling, you know, and just throughout that year of kindergarten seeing him his exposure you know Mm -hmm. come Mm -hmm. home and like talk about something and I'm like where did that come from yes like this must be you know so maybe getting comfortable having uncomfortable conversations absolutely with the confidence that if you don't have the gall to say it somebody else will somebody else will and you don't know that they're going to be saying So, and so then too, you're again, starting, starting a a routine around that, starting a rhythm around that, that we check in and we ask questions and we're curious. And so if something comes up that you don't understand, you can also come to us and we can talk about what you've heard and, you know, help fill in some of the blanks. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, Beautiful and important practice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any other questions, Chelsea? I feel like I am just taking it all in. This is such, such great yeah, information. I guess my question would be, how did we get so lucky? <laughs> like, thank <laughs> you for coming to talk to us. Oh my goodness. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, me too. I think this was, you know, I, I, this is such an important um, area of topics to cover mm-hmm. for parents, um, especially parents of little ones. And I just, I really want to not only like spread how helpful like rye parenting has been for me and my experience, but also, you know, your expertise and how we can come to these topics and, um, you know, just be real about it, be like our two selves and, um, maybe like help our, help our kids understand because, you know, I think from some examples you've shared, like we I mean, I won't speak for everybody, but like, I don't want to raise a child who's afraid of broaching certain topics or think that, think that some topics are taboo because that just, you know, it's not good to have emotions sitting in you. Door policy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so that, I think that means like, it's better to do it messy than to not do it at all. Right. Like we don't have to be concerned about (laughs) being perfect. 
Let's put that on but, a t-shirt. <laughs> right? Because even if it's messy, we're setting the tone that, you know, we talk about hard things. We do hard things. We can tolerate strong emotion. And if you're having some strong emotion, you're not going to have to go through that by yourself. That's yeah. beautiful. And speaking of not having to go through things by yourself, um, can you tell us about this beautiful little card game or not a card game, but like a deck of cards you developed? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, like a quick and dirty explanation. So I think I've mentioned before, you probably shared my bio that I was a therapist for a long time before I did what I do now. And a lot of what I was doing with kids and with grownups too was talking about the brain, talking about the nervous system, you know, what does it feel like when your stress response is activated, when you're, you know, palms are sweaty, like mm-hmm. butterflies in your tummy, not always unpleasant stuff, but like I sometimes, had our conversation today. <laughs> probably that's your little, that's your little stress response, right? What, what's interesting though, is like, so that probably peaked before we started. Mm-hmm. Once we started the conversation, it, you know, you kind of slowly come back down. And by the time we're finished and you go about your day, like you're back at your baseline. What I think is problematic about these past two years and well, more than these past two years is that there's not been an opportunity for us to be coming back down to baseline regularly, if right. not at all. Like it's just mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. peak after peak after peak of unpredictability and stress. And so one way of sort of like tricking the nervous system, you could say, or you could say creating new neural connections. I would prefer that we say that, um, (laughs) is to intentionally find ways to bring yourself back down to baseline over and over and over and over again, to communicate to your nervous system that like we can tolerate the stress response. That doesn't mean that, you know, all hell is broken loose. We can tolerate this in our body. So I created, I put together a bunch of these one to three minute practices that are aimed at um, sort of soothing the activated stress response and getting us back down to baseline. A lot of them use uh, like pattern repetitive rhythmic movement and stimulation, which is the type of stimulation that builds our brains in the first place. So Mm -hmm. if you think about how we soothe babies, for example, what are, what do we do? What are we doing? Right. Yeah. I don't think you have a camera for this, but when you're bouncing, right. <laughs> we're you're bouncing, we're padding, we're yeah. rocking, all of these things. And we're doing that in the context of relationship too. Right. So mm-hmm. it's that same type of stimulation that we can tap to bring ourselves back down to baseline. But if you have more than one to three minutes, do those things. That's, that's so many different things. That's, that's, that could be cooking. That could be sewing. That could be, um, taking a walk, exercising, praying, reading, like all of these things that feel good to us fall under that sort of umbrella. But so these, the practices are, can be done in less than three minutes. You don't need any stuff. Like most of it's body-based movements, or there's a little bit of mindfulness stuff in there. I don't do as well with deep breathing and breathing exercises as I do with movement and metabolizing. So there's not Mm -hmm. a ton of breath work there. That's my own bias. Um, but yeah, so I, I created this little card deck that folks can, you know, you can keep in your bag and keep in your desk. You can use them with your kids. You can use them at work. Um, and I just encourage people rather than saving up a big chunk of time for quote unquote self-care, because I don't know if you've ever done that, but like you're, you're going to go do this thing. That's going to like make you feel really good. And then you do the thing and you feel really good. And then you go back home to where all the stress is. 
Right. And it's right. like all of those benefits are out the window. So right. instead of that, can I take once an hour? Can yeah. I take to do one of these practices, the three minutes you would be on Instagram or whatever. Like, ah. can I pull a card and do a practice once an hour? Like, I, I, love, I love that. Better. And if you're doing them with your kid and you're working through these different practices, you might just come across one thing that is like, oh, this is the ticket. Like this yes. works for my kid. Yes, exactly. How can people find these? So they are available on my website in the shop that's at um, drjennyking.com. I also put them, like I make videos of them and put them on my Instagram too. So that's we'll link, um, we'll link at Dr. Jenny King. In our cool. So people can um, can do themselves a favor and get you know, <laughs> their little self-keeping back on track. Yes. Head to, your, head to your website and also find out more about you if they want to, because I... I just, I could talk to you for hours. I feel like, <laughs> well, I'm happy to come back and talk to you whenever you all want. Okay. We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Um, yeah. Okay. Till next time. Stay mean, stay mean. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the modern mean mom podcast. Check out our Patreon and consider supporting us so we can continue putting out great content. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Mean Mom or email us at modernmeanmom at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. It takes a village. Thanks for being a part of ours. Thank you for having me. I'm going to hop downstairs and make sure everybody's still alive and you yes, all do the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, you too.